You know, you get 20, 30 feet off the ground, and nobody was grabbing him by the neck and telling him where to go and pushing him around. He was up there doing his thing, movement, being challenged, solving puzzles on the fly, just like that. But here was the critical thing. He was connected to someone else by a rope, and that was monumental for him. Here he was being an individual up here, but he was part of something else. And that level of trust that was happening with that really struck him. So why would two guys leave comfortable jobs, move across the country and start a business in an industry they don't know, a place they don't know, and could it be successful? We're Dale and Brian Carmi. Join us as we share our story and inspire you to become people of impact. Welcome to the Impact Without Limits podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Impact Without Limits podcast. This is Dale Carmi here, sitting with Brian, and we started into the stories on the trial, and I kind of hate to interrupt that, but we had a really neat opportunity last month. Uh, out at the Frevalon Conference in Tempe, Arizona, we had a guest speaker, Jeff Evans, who is um, he speaks on leadership principles. Uh, he is also, I, I would say, an explorer extraordinaire. He's climbed, I think, the highest mountain on every continent. And really what's truly amazing is he led the first and maybe the only yes. blind expedition to the top of Mount Everest. So he guided a gentleman who is blind to the top of Mount Everest, which was phenomenal. So he shares some of that story. He shares leadership, timeless leadership principles. And I, I got to tell you, I was, I had heard him speak, not in person, but I'd heard him re- recorded and had gone through his book, but I was really blown away at his presentation. It was incredibly impactful. And uh, Brian, do you have anything to say yeah, before I we just, kick this off? Just loved his uh, delivery and just the idea of, um, you know, what it's like to lead somebody, the trust they're placing in you, the trust. and then the trust that, that you are, are, you know, that when you're leading somebody, especially somebody that's blind, that the responsibility, the responsibility that goes with that trust. So let's hear from Jeff. Then we'll be back to wrap it up. Privilege for me to be here with you today. I get the opportunity to stand up here and share some stories with you about a lot of the experiences that I've had in my career as an emergency room physician assistant, as a mountain guide, uh, and a lot of the lessons that I've learned through those experiences. Uh, And yeah, all of these stories that you're going to hear today, they all have uh, lessons that are just baked into them, lessons on all these great themes that you already know about, that you've already been developing um, your entire lives, but things like teamwork and leadership and communication and trust and managing adversity and so on and so on. And guess what? None of them will be new to you. None of them will be pioneering to you. Matter of fact, there will be no moment in the next hour that I spend with you that you'll say, that's new. I've never heard that before. I promise you. However, I think we can all agree, life gets busy. Life has a way of maybe perhaps even diluting a lot of these characteristics that all of us know are mission critical and how we operate. 
professionally and personally. So my job today is to sort of bring them forward um, so they're right here. So when you leave here uh, after this conference and you go back home, you can share them and and, uh, disseminate them out to the people that you care about, your teammates, your community, the people that you share time with. Um, So um, I've I've enjoyed talking and hearing the origin story, really, uh, with Dale and Brian and learning about uh, Forever Lawn and, and, uh, and, and the approach that it took to get to this point, from like the Super 8 Motel to here we are at the Omni or whatever it was. You know, that's quite a trajectory. Uh, and learning about you, learning about who you are, your roles, responsibilities, whether you're sales, production, whether you're a business owner, whether you have that entrepreneurial mindset. But what I do know, based on my conversations with them, is that everyone in this room is a hard charger is a get out and get it done, head down, get the work done, make it happen. But other than that introduction that you just heard right now, y'all don't know anything about me, and I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say that the vast majority of y'all are sitting there right now thinking to yourself, another motivational speaker. Sweet. That's exactly what I want to sit through on a Tuesday morning, man. There's sweet golf courses out there, and I got to listen to this dude, this mountain climber bro that's going to be up here, like, you know, talking about all of his glorious summits and his harrowing feats of survival and a bunch of other gratuitous nonsense. All right, so I get it. Stand by, and 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 let me describe for you uh, some of the characteristics and attributes that I've had to develop, nurture, and implement over my years of being a mountain guide and see if any of it sounds familiar with how you have to operate day to day. So with my clients, with my teammates, before we even step off, before we start, before we even get on the airplane to do any project, any climb, any expedition, I have to, as an expedition guide, I have to establish expectations. I have to define what the summit looks like. I have to create contingencies, guardrails. I have to make sure that everybody has their own subjective definition of what the summit looks like for them based on where they are in that moment in their skill sets. I have to communicate effectively, transparently, honestly, succinctly, and not when I feel like it, not not when it's convenient to me, not when not when I wake up in the morning and be like, I'm going to be a highly effective communicator today. That's not how that works. My people deserve more than that. I have to create contingencies for when things completely go off the rails. I have to be able to create a culture of adaptation on the fly because it never goes as we plan it, ever. I've been on thousands of expeditions, and not one of them have ever gone as we thought it would. Always being pliable, being willing to adapt to the landscape. And all of this becomes a bit of a, I think of it as a mindset. I think of it as as not an on-off dial. It's more of of, you know, it's, it's always on. Maybe, maybe most of the time that dial, maybe you're operating around the five, six, seven mark. Maybe some days you're just blasting and you're up at 11, you know, like that kind. Maybe there's some days when you have to roll down to two. Okay, that's all right, but it's on. 
because that's what your people deserve. So with this time that I have for you today, I'm going to share some stories with you. If you can just take one or two things back with you, that's a win, right? I'm going to get you thinking like an expeditionary guide, all except for the part about being cool with not showering for like two and a half months at a time, because that's part of it, right? So it's a great group of people who've taught me a lot about all of this, all these attributes. It's a group of people you've probably heard of before called the Sherpas. Everybody in here has probably heard of the Sherpas before, right? So, uh, you know, they're the group of people who live at the base of these biggest mountains in the world, Everest and, and Nepal, and for maybe somebody in here hasn't even been over to the Himalayas before, but all the stories you've heard of the Sherpas, every one of them are true because you've heard how strong they are. They are legendarily strong. They are tough like you read about. They do all the work, right? They carry all the weight. They set the camps, they set the routes up the mountain, they do it all. They're just simply stronger and faster. Now, I've done uh, 14 Himalayan expeditions to Nepal and Tibet and China and all over the world, all throughout the Himalayan region. Um, Number 15 is in the works right now for this coming summer, and every single one of them have been with Sherpas. These four guys, for sure, and very specifically, uh, my man, Appa, the guy second from the left right there. I have shared some of the very best and worst moments with my man, Appa, uh, standing right next to me. And for decades now, Appa has been literally running circles around me, right? For a long time now, I, I would put my pack on, feel like I'm the strong guy. Appa would put a pack on twice as heavy as mine and then just start, you know, lapping me basically. So to the point where I thought to myself, um, I, I just one time, one time, small victory. I just want to get from one camp to the next camp before Appa. That would be a win for me. I figured if I did that and I trained hard for that, not just the summit, but just to beat him to camp one time, I'd be good to go. So check it out. Two years ago, I was in Nepal uh, and I was, I, was, uh, I was climbing with Appa and we were moving from from, uh, from like 17,000 feet to 19,000 feet. And I got out of camp before Appa, and I was trucking, and I, was, I thought today I was, I was, you know, a couple hours out before I even saw him leaving camp, and I said, today's the day. Appa is going down. Now, I didn't say that loud because, you know, you don't chirp Michael Jordan, right? So I kind of kept it a little bit on the down low, but I'm like, all right, and I'm, I, today, I'm committed. So I was trucking along, but sure enough, a couple hours later, Appa comes flying by me. He's like, what's up, Jeff? And he gets all the way back, gets up to Camp 3. I get up there like a couple hours later, and, and I'm huffing and puffing. I'm like leaning down. Appa's sitting on a rock right there at Camp 3. I'm like, man, Appa, I can't believe it, bro. I think, I think you're stronger this year than you were last year. Appa looks down at me. He's like, you're pretty strong too, Mr. Jeff. Pack of marble red butts at his feet, right? So here it is in picture form, right? So that's me over on the right right there. I got all the best equipment money can buy, man. I got the down suit. I got the oxygen system, right? I got, I got all this stuff. Now, I, I got, I got a, that yellow thing on my pack right there. That's an insulated water bottle cover, right? Everything's top of line, ceramic boots. Man, check me out. Now, look over at old Oppo over there. 
Appa's got on a down jacket with duct tape on it, feathers flying out all over the place. That orange thing on the back of his pack right there, that's an oxygen cylinder, but he's not even breathing it. He's carrying it for me. <laughs> Best part about old Appa, he's got on blue jeans. And they're, they're not even Levi's, they're like Jordache or something like that. He's got on four pairs of Jordache jeans. Sorry if any of y'all are Jordache. But, but he, uh, you know what you realize real quick? That guy on the left is a rock star. That guy on the right has got a long way to go. And I ain't afraid to admit it. Truly, truly tough like you read about. So tough, in fact, that a bunch of smart people wanted to figure out, why does it these Sherpas go out and run circles around all of us Westerners? Because all us Westerners, man, we got, you know, we got the hyperbaric chambers and we got the REIs and the dangly danglies and the brand new shiny gear and the sports nutrition. And, you know, we're just working on power bars and be like, what's up? These guys throw a pair of four pairs of jeans on, eat a bowl of rice and crush all of us. Why is that? There's got to be some physiologic reason. So a bunch of smart people came together and uh, uh, some folks, there was a consortium of folks from NASA and Brown University, and they got a grant for a quarter, a quarter million bucks, 250,000 bucks, and we're going to study all these physiologic data points and compare Sherpas versus Westerners. I had just gotten out of medical school, and I had, had, was over there on a trip, and they asked me if I would be part of the control group for the Western side, and I said, heck yeah. So they did me, put me through the ringer, did all the tests and stuff. And then a little bit less than a year later, uh, I, because I was a part of the study, I got the results in the mail. This is back when you used to get shit in the mail. So then I remember getting it and, and I, I uh, brought it in. It was one of those, you know, 300-page spiral-bound dealios with all kinds of charts and graphs and things of that sort. And so I did what everybody in here, do, they do when they get one of those, you open up to the back and read the conclusion. So I open it up, I start checking it out, and, and, uh, and it says, in conclusion, in conclusion, there was no disparity or discrepancy between the values of the Sherpa population and the Western population, and then dot, 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 dot. In conclusion, our study is inconclusive. He didn't assimilate oxygen better than me. He's just a dude. He didn't have some super Sherpa S on his chest. He didn't have gills behind his ears. He's just a guy. He's going out and getting the job done for the people around him. Now, what I've realized after spending so much time over there with these guys is that what they've got isn't necessarily a quantifiable metric that you can put into a study. After all these years, I realize what it is. I refer to it as Sherpa leadership or servant leadership. That's how I see it. That's, what I, that's how I see they step into life every day. And whether they know it or not, Appa and his crew have been teaching me about it for decades. They, are, they do not care who gets the credit for standing on top. They are selfless. They are committed. They are trustworthy. They are high-level leaders without a propensity for thinking about how important it is for me to plant my flag on the summit. Their job every day is to go out and elevate the people around me. When the oppa wakes up in the morning, he puts his boots on. He approaches every single decision, teammate, client, colleague, 
with a service-based heart. He goes straight to them and tries to identify with them where they are in that moment, which route up the mountain suits them best for where they are right then, that day. Because guess what? It changes every single day. His first order of operations is to help people identify how they are going to ascend that day. That's how he goes about his job. And I'll tell you, I've spent decades in emergency departments and trauma bays, natural disaster sites, leading expeditions, and I get the opportunity to step into organizations for a hot minute and feel the culture. And I'll tell you, after all those experiences, what is undeniable to me is that when a teammate, when an individual, when a team, a leadership team, find some sort of iteration of this type of leadership, of servant leadership, Sherpa-style leadership, that all these other great attributes percolate up to the top. And I'm talking about trust, communication, managing adversity, all these things, they all come to the top when that becomes part of the culture, if not the bedrock and the foundation of the culture. Everything springs from that. And I'll tell you that what I have seen is that when that happens, when that is the foundation, that that productivity increases, engagement increases, creativity increases. Why? Because we all in our hearts want to be a part of something that's bigger than us. We want that. We need that as human beings. We crave that truly. Now, there is a great disparity in my mind of of servant leaders, people who are there to serve the people around them. And I know a little bit about you, and I know that most of you, if not all of you, to your core, walk that way. But it can always, we can always be more. We bring that back. It becomes viral. We all want that. When we look left and we look right. Now, um, I will, if I back up, uh, uh, anytime you're over 25 years of doing something, just add a plus to it, right? We don't need to get specific. So 25 plus years ago, I was introduced to a relationship that would in turn really showcase to me what it means to be, I think, a servant leader and lead with that Sherpa style of leadership, even though I didn't really know what it was. At the time, I was living the worthwhile and meaningful existence of the consummate, rock-climbing, dirtbag, long-haired, Grateful Dead show-chasing hippie. Gets better, though. Living in my van, down by the river. Way to go. Yep. I was living in a place called Joshua Tree, California. There's a lot of y'all probably know that place. And it is a magical place, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) says the guy from Colorado. Yeah, it was a place that I, I loved it. I, I was living in my van, and I was eating ramen noodles three times a day, and I was uh, rock climbing every day, all day. I was in heaven. Now, my parents were just beaming with pride all along. So, yeah, they were real proud of me. So uh, I heard about this rock climber who was blind. His name was Eric. Now, Eric was a blind rock climber. He was born legally blind, but he had, a, he had a degenerative retina disease. So his retina is basically unraveled through his adolescence. And when he was 13, lights out. 
A year later, his mama was killed in a motor vehicle accident. Bam, bam. Now, lucky for him, his dad was, is, always will be. He just passed about a year and a half ago. His dad was, is, always will be a Marine. And he was not about to let his blind son just sit back on the sidelines and watch life go by. So he... He uh, took him all over on his assignments all over the world, took him to these cool places, basically uh, introduced him to the world. And at one point, he took him to this camp for blind kids. And for some reason, the directors at this camp for blind kids thought it'd be cool to, like, put up an artificial climbing wall and huck a bunch of blind kids on a climbing wall, see what happens. (laughs) Turns out it was a pretty good idea. Eric got on there at a young age, young blind kid, and he experienced this phenomenon. He's like, he, he would climb up, you know, you get 20, 30 feet off the ground, and nobody was grabbing him by the neck and telling him where to go and pushing him around. He was up there doing his thing, movement, being challenged, solving puzzles on the fly, just like that. But here was the critical thing. He was connected to someone else by a rope. And that was monumental for him. Here he was being an individual up here, but he was part of something else. And that level of trust that was happening with that really struck him. So he started rock climbing, then he wanted to climb big mountains. And so he, he, uh, he decided he wanted to climb big mountains. He knew that, oh, that if he was going to do that, he'd need a guide. And he'd need a guide that could stick with him and, and learn and really develop and nurture a relationship, right? So he called all these, he loves to tell the story that he... he you know, he called all these very successful and accomplished mountain guides throughout, you know, the U.S. And, and he'd give them the pitch and he'd say, you know, hey, you know, my name's Eric and I've done this and this. I want to go do this and this. And at the end, by the way, <laughs> I'm blind. And he said everybody, you know, everybody like had a, like a dentist appointment or like had to go get the oil changed or something. Like nobody wanted to go climbing with the blind guy. Because nobody ever had. And then he gets to me, and he gives me the call, gives me the whole spiel, and he gets down through it, and he's like, Eric, can I do this, and I want to do this. And by the way, I'm blind. I'm like, bro, I'm living in my van down by the river. Come on out. Let's see what we got. And so he came out uh, to Joshua Tree. And the first thing I noticed about this cat, as soon as he gets out of, of the car, is that as well as being blind, by default, he's, he's colorblind too, right? Like, I mean, clearly I am not very stylish, but my man, I ain't going down the mountains with you looking like that. But more importantly, as the day progressed, I realized something way more profound. So I didn't know how good of a climber he was. So I, I got on some pretty easy routes at first. We were just going to climb the whole weekend and get to know each other. It's very, very first day we're together. So I get on some pretty easy routes, pretty straightforward. And, and I get to the top and, and I'm, I'm pulling the rope up and he's just, just dances up at easy, easy as could be. No problem. I'm like, man, okay, all right. Day progresses. I get on harder and harder routes. Still, God doesn't fall. He's so stinking strong. He holds, scans, remembers, foot placement, elevate. Over and over again. I'm, as, so finally, day goes on, sun's going down. I still haven't gotten the dude to fall yet. Now, I'm not trying to kill him. I got him on a rope, right? Pump the brakes. It's cool. I'm not trying to kill the blind dude, you know. Uh, but I, I, uh, I finally get on, you know, the, the sun's going down. I get on the hardest route that I can possibly do. Highest level of my ability. 
And I get on it and I struggle all the way up it. You know, I barely get up and I'm, you know, I get to the top and I'm pulling the rope up. I'm like, there we go. And no kidding, blind dude gets up there, you know, really just super strong exerting, finds his way up, sits down next to me, doesn't fall. I'm like, damn, all right, man. All right, here we are. This dude, this dude. I said, man, this is great, man. We start talking about the future and the potential, all these things we can go do. And, and I'm like, the sun, you know, sun's gone. Why don't we head on back down to camp and, you know, drink a beer and eat some ramen noodles or something? No kidding. You blind dude looks me square in the eyes. He goes, bro, do you think I care if the sun's gone down? <laughs> and I did one of those like, <laughs> you're kidding, right? And he goes, no, seriously, put your headlamp on and let's keep climbing. And I did. And we did till 1.30 in the morning, the very first day that we met. And I realized right then, this guy is walking the walk. He wants to get out and do stuff. But he knew that he needed an ally. He knew that he'd need someone that clearly, as you think about blind guy on the mountains, he needs a guide. He needs someone he can trust. But a beautiful thing that would take place that maybe neither one of us really considered was that I would clearly have to trust him too, because that's how relationships work. It's reciprocal, right? So I would in turn have to learn how to trust a blind guy in the mountains because my life would be interwoven with his. All right. Uh, Great information here. We're trying to keep uh, within time limits. So we're going to stop this where we're at now. We're going to pick this up on a subsequent episode to hear the rest of Jeff Evans' story. It's kind of like a cliffhanger. <laughs> cliffhanger. Cliffhanger, hanging from a cliff. And that's why he's called Cliffhanger. And he's a mountain climber. <laughs> that <laughs> so well. has never been more appropriate. So anyway, uh, great having you guys with us. Uh, come back to hear the rest of this episode and... You know, share this with other people, share the story, take a picture of the screen, let people know what you're listening to, and help spread the good word. This is the Threads Army reminding you that faith looks up, hope looks ahead, and love looks all around to see whom it can help. Good day.